Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Welcome into the Free Retiree Show. You're sitting down with wealth manager Lee Michael Murphy, and I am alongside my main man, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? Thank you for tuning into our show today. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about cybersecurity. That's right. I said it. Cybersecurity. <laughs> so, Serge, what do you think? Important for money? Not not important? What's your feelings on this? No, not, not important at all. No, I mean... As we uh, as we move to this digital, we're in this digital world, right? In the space, we all have our money online, and it, uh, I say we were joking about it earlier, but I don't think it gets talked about enough. So I'm excited to have uh, Dominic on just to kind of open up this, give this, you know, give him a forum and platform to start talking about it and uh, enlighten us a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So as most of you know, we have two main pillars of our show, which are helping people with their finances and avoiding the devastating financial mistakes. I think this episode is going to hit both of those. Getting hacked, identity theft, falling for a falling to a cyber breach. All these things could be extremely costly and they can impact you personally and impact a business and it can be devastating. So guess what Serge? Since we've been at home during COVID, cybersecurity, cybercrime, up or down? What are you guessing? I'm assuming it's all-time highs right now. <laughs> well, this is really interesting stuff. So according to Palo Alto Networks, the average ransomware attack in 2020 rocketed up 171%. So in 2019, the ransom attacks were around $115,123. 2020, $312,493. That's a lot of guacamole. So, Serge, have you ever been, you know, impacted by a cyber breach or know anyone that has been impacted by a cyber breach? Yeah, you know, I get those random e- emails from like, you know, I have like I have like a Capital One card and they'll send an email. Hey, I think your data has been compromised and I never take it seriously, but I feel like I should. But I feel like we've all at some point been impacted and there's phishing out there where, you know, email attacks. There's, you know, I, I work at big tech companies. I worked at Facebook for several years and uh, we all know Facebook just shit the bed multiple times. Um, (laughs) But I think we've all been impacted one way or another. Yeah, right. A recent article that came out from CNBC uh, by Scott Steinberg, 43% of cyber attacks are aimed at small businesses, but only 14% are prepared to defend themselves. And now these incidents are costing on average $200,000. And the companies that experience this, 63% go out of business within six months of being victimized. So, and maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not a business. Does this really apply to me? The average recovery time as an individual recover from a ransomware or cyberware attack is 50 days. 
So it takes a lot of your time and a lot of your money, even on the personal level. So none of us want to go through this. So that's why we are ecstatic that we have one of the best cybersecurity gurus out there. His name's Dominic Vogel. He's a fantastic resource for all of us. And just to give you guys a little bit about him, he's the founder and chief strategist of Cyber SE. And he's been on BBC News. And he's even helped financial institutions help manage their cybersecurity. So for me, being in the financial industry, it's a high bar of who we go to, the experts that we use to protect client data, protect the firm. And he's done that. So he's got a wealth of knowledge. And this is going to be a great interview. But this is all about how do you protect yourself from a cyber attack? And what do you do? if you become victim to a cyber attack. All things we need to talk about. We're gonna to go to a quick break, but if you have questions for us, a business-related, financial-related, career-related, or even a question for Dominic, send them to ask at thefreeretiree.com. We'll take a quick break, but when we're back, we're gonna be sitting down with Dominic Vogel. Welcome back into the Free Retiree Show. We are excited that we are sitting down with Dominic Vogel. Dominic, how are you doing this morning? I am fantastic, gentlemen. How are you? How are you both doing today? We're doing great, man. Doing great. This cyber world, uh, ransomware attacks, uh, viruses. This is this is one of those things that I think kind of goes under the radar. People aren't too concerned with it, and then it's probably one of the things that makes you feel the until most it happens victimized abused victimized abused hopeless hopeless those are all great those are all great ways to describe it but Dob, tell the people what you do and how you help individuals and companies with your with your work Absolutely. And I've been doing cybersecurity close to 15 years now, uh, uh, my entire professional career. You mentioned financial services. That's actually where I cut my, my corporate teeth. Uh, so I know the financial services industry very, very well, in particular the credit union system here in Vancouver where I live. So I know the, the nuances there in terms of uh, cybersecurity. Um, now I focus on working with small and mid-sized organizations. So companies anywhere between probably 20 to 500 employees, uh, companies right across North America, working with business owners, CEOs. CFOs, uh, people who really are not sure what cyber risk means and how they can best manage that risk in their organization. Because to them, it's like operational risk, financial risk, uh, personnel risk. They want to make sure that they're treating it as a risk and not just as an IT issue. That's a good call out. I think in a lot of the organization I've been in, it's it's more on that. I think people think of it as an IT thing, right? It's mm-hmm. not like there's a huge risk. There's like, it risk, like the whole company's at stake, right? Uh, absolutely, and, and like like you mentioned in, in the in the preamble at the beginning, um, you know, it, it's we're in a digital age now, right? That like every single company um, deals with data. Every single company, especially because of the pandemic as well, you know, companies that were just stayed as physical, they had may have had no choice but to become virtualized. We're truly in a the digital economy, and I always jokingly say that unless you're selling tacos at the back of your mother's Volvo and all cash deals, you are a digital <laughs> company, right? And if you're a digital yeah. company you have to deal with digital and or cyber risk. So it, it, it is, that's why I would paint it as part of the risk portfolio, right? It's not an IT issue. It's very much threat. If you don't, if you ignore it, it very much threatens the very existence of your organization. And that's the definition of a risk. 
Yeah. Lee, you mentioned uh, kind of what I, earlier we were talking about, like what I was worried about. I feel Dominic would love your insight. Do you feel like hackers and people who are trying to take advantage of, they're just getting more sophisticated, correct? That's, I think that's what I'm, that's what scares me is that the more technology, you know, the more we get advanced from a technology standpoint, I feel like from a sophisticated, they're just getting smarter and smarter, right? The way I view it, unfortunately, is that people are getting dumber and dumber. (laughs) (laughs) We give hackers and cyber criminals, I think, far too much credit. If you look at the vast majority of cyber attacks, especially on small and mid-sized organizations, they're not sophisticated. They they really aren't, right? Uh, They can all be tied back to some basic level of security that a small or mid-sized business hasn't implemented and should have implemented, right? Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of them are easily preventable, you know, just just like there are some diseases which are easily preventable, right? Uh, I'll use the heart disease as an example. Unless it's a, a congenitive uh, item, you know, if you're someone who, you know, tries to stay away from eating chips all day and eating Burger King three times a day, not exercising, um, you know, you can probably avoid a, a, a heart attack. Um, same thing with many small businesses. They're not doing basic, what I refer to as basic cyber hygiene. And right? if they were doing that, many of these attacks would disappear or, to, to your point earlier, yeah, we would likely see increased sophistication. Cyber criminals, basically, to them, this is a matter of business. If they don't have to work harder, why would they, right? There's, there's enough idiots for them to, to pillage, unfortunately. So they're like taking advantage of what could be arrogance or just like... L- l- laziness, let's say laziness, laziness and, yeah. and ignorance. <laughs> ignorance, that's yeah. the word I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yes, sir, that was a good point about like, I do feel like, the strategies that the cyber criminals are doing is a little bit more sophisticated because back in the day, you know, the common one that I saw was, Hey, I'm a Nigerian prince. I want to help you. And then, you know, I just call you it'll be Sergio. Did you, did you email me? Was that you? And then you're like, no, that's not me. And then I knew it was bad news, but now there's all kinds of different ways that people are getting taken advantage of. So Dom, like what are some of the ones that are common that people are, you know, falling for? What are the common yeah. ones? Just a couple. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a good question. And you're really right there, Thule, about, you know, you mentioned like, like the Nigerian Prince scam as an example. One of, one of the things which we often run to, and this is actually the Sergio's point about arrogance, I think, now that I think about it, I think you're actually right about the level of arrogance there, Sergio, that you know, we'll, we'll run into business owners who will say, oh, we're not worried about uh, cybersecurity because we know what to look for for Nigerian Prince scams and yeah. we have antivirus. And I always, you know, mock them and I say, well, bravo, you know, if this was 1995, there'd be nothing further for me to do. But guess what? You know, it's 2021, right? You're you're good against 1995 level threats. Bravo. You know, here's a gold medal. In terms of 2021 threats, you're failing miserably, (laughs) you know. So uh, things certainly have evolved. And I think a lot of people are still stuck in that mid-90s mindset, unfortunately. Um, You know, and, and if we're focusing more so on maybe scams that, that, that a lot of people still um, fall for. Um, many of them, as an example, are, can be tied to, to like major brands. So like Apple scams, an example. If it says your iTunes account uh, needs to be t- topped up or your iTunes account has, has been compromised, you know, please click, click here. People will, will fall for that. We still see, see stuff like FedEx shipments. You know, Your FedEx shipment is delayed. Please click here. A lot of things that we see in everyday life, people just assume that that's you know, like, oh, I guess there was a package on the way. This, this must be real. So anything that's tied to something popular, almost part of day-to-day life, still has very, very high, what I refer to as click-through rate. In terms of how you deal with that, you know, I think what's really important at the end of the day is not to 
Uh, it sounds easy not to click on links, but rather go through a website. So I, as an example, if you yeah. know that you have a package on the way from FedEx, go to FedEx.com, do your login there. I don't click a link. And I still do that. Even if I get a legitimate email from my bank, as an example, I'll log in to the mobile app or I'll log on to the website. I'm not going to use the link even from a legitimate uh, email. That's great advice, man. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, Dominic, so... I know you focus mainly on small businesses, but I was thinking there's probably an opportunity or a gap for like personal education. Like mm-hmm. I was never really taught, you know, bef- you know, coming up this, you know, look out for this, look out for that. Yeah. And I think I've got two young kids and they're, they're literally coming up with internet at their fingertips. Yeah. So it seems like they would be more prone mm-hmm. to getting taken advantage of at some point in their life. So like, is yeah. there a gap there for like education or like, absolutely. is that something you do as well? Or when a- you speak abs- and stuff? Yeah, a- absolutely it is. And you know, there, there's there's so many fantastic people as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm friends with who, who, who specialize more so in, I'll refer to as digital safety, you know, but you're absolutely right, Sergio, about a gap in educating people. You know, if you, even if you think about like financial literacy, I mean, uh, at least in, in Canada here in, in the uh, curriculum, it's only been recent, uh, recently that it's been updated to include financial literacy. So, you know, kids when they graduate have an understanding of, you know, what, what is a mortgage? How, what, what does an interest rate mean? You know, I went through school, I learned all that stuff after I graduated. No, no one taught me that. If it wasn't for my, for my dad to, you know, let me, uh, uh, teaching me that stuff, I would have had no, no clue. So that's an example where digital literacy very much, especially for the uh, what's the new generation called generation Generation Z or whatever. Gosh, who knows? Whatever the hell's going to come Z, after that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> X. Z, yeah. uh, for, I mean, my my son is three, and he already knows how to use the iPad almost as well as I do. Same as mine. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so but, but again, with, with that use of technology, to your point there, if they haven't been taught that digital safety component, you're missing a critical understanding. So, more and more, I think it's important that um, parents recognize that if that's not being taught in schools, um, they need to, you know, uh, unfortunately supplement that uh, on, uh, online through uh, through. Um, whether it be online online training or engaging with uh, online speakers who, who specialize in personal digital safety. So let's talk about like mobile devices. So one thing that I was excited to ask you about is I've heard, and I don't know if it's fact or fiction, that <laughs> being on a mobile device is Big safer news. than being <laughs> on a PC. And, and I've also heard that you can't be, you can't get a virus or be hacked if you have an iPhone. Now, are these fact or fiction? There are nuggets of truth, but by and far, that is more fiction than fact. So it, you are less likely to get a virus or malware on a mobile device. And that's true if that's a Android device or a uh, iPhone or God forbid, if you're using a, a Windows mobile <laughs> device. <laughs> uh, but um, it, the, the reason why it's less true, or sorry, it happens less uh, often is that still the majority of attacks are still happening, are still very successful on laptops, on desktops. So cyber criminals haven't had to focus on mobile devices. At some point in the future, we will likely see that increase as well. You know, an analogy or an extension of what we're talking about here was um, for the longest time, you even saw Apple advertise that, oh, Apple laptops, Apple computers, right? They don't get viruses, Windows do, right? Yeah. And that those commercials always pissed me off because they were blatantly false. This is a very quick economic lesson uh, for you gents here. Um, so that came out in the late 90s or early 2000s. Um, what was true was that if you had a Windows machine, yeah, you were more likely to get a virus or to get malware. But the reason was that 
cyber criminals were focusing on the with the offer for the biggest bang of the buck globally the vast majority of machines so computers were windows based something like 95% at the time were all windows based so if you're a cyber criminal and you're trying to write some code to hack into a computer are you going to focus on 5% or are you going to focus on the 95% right they're going to focus on the windows machines so it was basically a false sense of security right the, the only reason why you generally weren't affected from a, a mac perspective was cuz you were in the in the very small minority it wasn't because your system was inherently more secure now over the past 20 years uh, and as we've seen more and more people have mac laptops especially in the business setting especially with with tech companies as an example most of them run run macs now as that market share slowly changed you know cyber criminals like okay well now we now see an opportunity now it makes sense for us to invest time and money in making exploit code and trying to crack into these mac devices because now there's an actual return on investment right because now the market share has gone down to maybe 70 30 globally or Whatever, whatever the number is right now um but now it's at least made financial sense for them to go after uh max it's still more prevalent in windows but i would argue now the, that windows machines are more secure than mac machines the reason being is that they they've had to go through the gauntlet right they've had to become more secure they had no choice max have just coasted for the past 20 years so i do think that they still haven't even had the well referred to as the day of reckoning i think that's that's coming especially with younger generations more and more of them are using mac devices and as that like i said that market share changes more and more viruses globally are going to be uh, we focus there yeah the the other thing is apple i think it's done a really good job in branding like a lot of the commercials you see is you you see the lot the privacy a lot of their commercials yeah. right now are like the iphone is secure yeah. mac is secure Yeah. And I think as Apple users we get comfortable. We we're, we're very comfortable. So that day of reckoning could be coming. The bit I'll talk to is also as well referred to as a security mindset. Right? Regardless if you're using a Windows machine or a Mac machine, if you're someone who's just going to be clicking on links and uh, basically engaging in what referred to as unsafe online behavior, it doesn't matter what device you're, you're using, right? You're going to end up likely getting a virus, having your credentials compromised. Mac or windows it doesn't it doesn't matter right um as an example if you end up coughing up your credentials while using your macbook your macbook's not going to save you right you've already you've just now filled out a form with your password right that didn't matter that you were using a mac but often people who have a mac have a, a greater false sense of security so they tend to be more riskier online than someone who has a windows machine who tend again, on average tends to be a bit more cautious when they're online So it's more about the user and less about the machine you're using. To me it's a, it's it's a blend, right? No no machine is inherently safe or inherently secure. I mean, so antivirus talking about maybe false sense of security. A lot of people think, well, I have antivirus, you know, my uh my machine comes with it. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Is that also not correct? Yeah, it's also yeah, it's also correct. I mean, the, the thing which isn't correct is thinking that one security technology is a silver bullet right and that you're you're infallible that that that's where the biggest issue is you know uh i always um tell people that you know there's no no such thing as 100% security right the and you know there's a there's a joke at least in the security community is that the the most secure machine is one that's encased in concrete and dropped at the bottom of the ocean <laughs> that is that is the most secure computer on earth right but it's also not the most usable <laughs> the premise though again is that it is a risk whatever for do is a risk reduction control right if you if you're looking at security from a relative perspective and I'm a firm believer that security 
is about relativity. It's not an absolute. So if you compare a computer with antivirus and a computer without antivirus, from a relative risk perspective, the computer with antivirus is more secure than one without, right? Just, just like, you know, if you compare two people um, and, you know, say, okay, well, this person drinks a lot of water, they eat the right foods, um, all that, well, generally that person is likely going to be more resilient in the face of a cold or a flu than someone who, who doesn't engage in that. Again, their, their health is, is relative, right? Uh, again, there's no such thing as being 100% healthy, right? But, you know, depending on things that you do, right, there can be things that can make you more healthy relative to someone else, right? So that, that to me, again, is, is a, a comparison I use with, with security. So antivirus, very important, but not a silver bullet. Great. That, that's, that's very helpful. So on our show, we're really about trying to help people protect their finances and make sure they have a secure financial picture. In the past, you know, there's always been the risk of being hacked and it hurting you financially. But now as the future progresses, it seems like it's even a bigger risk because now society has moved to digital assets and having a lot more information online. So how do people, you know, in this new digital age where we have uh, so much of our banking information online, uh, now we have digital assets in the picture. Where, how do people protect themselves? You mentioned, you know, the, avoid the phishing attacks, but what else can they do to be hypervigilant and prevent these disasters? Great question. I'll start off with something like, like online banking. Many of us, we said they're in the digital age, we engage with our bank in a, uh, or financial institution in an online fashion, right? That may be a mobile app, that may be um, uh, through online banking. Uh, one of the things which I find is extremely cost effective is just to have a separate dedicated device that you just use for you know, your, your most important uh, transactions or things that, that you do. So your online banking, um, you know, filing your taxes, whatever, anything that is of great financial importance to you, right? just do on one device. Devices are relatively cheap nowadays. I mean, you, you can get an Android tablet for $99. It's not like it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where even the laptop could sit you back $1,000. $1, I mean, now you can get like a state-of-the-art laptop, gaming laptop for you know, uh, $1,000 or 1500 um, So devices are relatively inexpensive. Have one which is separate. That's the only time you use it is when you're using your online banking. The reason why I, I say that is every time you use your computer or God forbid you have a teenage son, then they use your computer, right? You're, you're more likely to be introducing, <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> introducing risk. On, I'm not on, on looking your... forward to that, Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, it, it, it's, 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 I say like jokingly again, it's each time they're using it, you're playing with fire. So again, if devices are so cheap, just have, or, or even better, you they you give them their own device, and if that you know uh, goes to hell, fine. It doesn't it doesn't matter because it's it, it can't compromise the device that, that you're using. So that I find to be a very like I said, fairly actionable, fairly cost effective technique, and fairly effective from a risk reduction perspective. Um, the other thing that, that I, I tell people as well is that um, don't reuse your online banking password elsewhere. So as an example, um, if you're fond of some online shopping website, which has maybe poor security as an example, if you have the exact same username password combo there that you do on your financial institution log login details, you're at a higher risk of having your banking uh, credentials compromised just because you were using those same password set on a less secure website, right? So whatever you use for online banking, make sure it's just dedicated for that. You don't use it anywhere else. 
is it's something called credential stuffing, which um, is basically taking advantage of the fact that most people reuse their same username password combo again and again on multiple websites at various levels of security. And the cyber criminals have gotten really smart about it because they realized like, well, rather than trying to break into the online, onto the online banking systems, which are very secure, right? They, they've invested tons and tons of money in that from a security perspective. Why not break some crappy website, which has poor security? And then we'll just, we'll just, and this comes where what's referred to credential stuffing. They basically just start stuffing these credentials all over the place just to see what sticks, right? So if they have a bank of, you know, a million credentials that they got from a bunch of various different crappy websites, they'll start sending those out to different online financial institutions. And even if they just get one or 2% of those to work, that's a hell of a payday. That's, uh, that's a little scary. I use, I guess I shouldn't say this on a show, but yeah, I, I reuse passwords, like mainly for convenience. Yeah. Cause I, I don't yeah. want to forget. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I've got a kind of a cycle of passwords I use, but it's probably not the best way to do things. Passwords are a broken security mechanism. They, they've been around since, since the sixties. And the fact that the, we still rely on that from, uh, for most online systems is it's, it's honestly ridiculous. You know, that's like, it's uh, honestly, <laughs> it still boggles my mind for lack of a better, better point, uh, term. And from a human perspective, it doesn't, it's just not possible. I mean, I, I can barely remember my wife's birthday and our anniversary. Yeah. You throw in all, you throw in all those other passwords out to remember. Um, and, and honey, if you're watching this, I do remember it. I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but, but the, you know, it's just not realistic. You know, uh, studies have shown that people can remember, I, th- I think, anywhere between three to five passwords, right? And even that is pushing it. So that what's we, what we've now seen, just because, again, passwords aren't going away on anytime soon, unfortunately, is the rise of a tool called a password manager. So these are great uh, online applications or apps you can download to your mobile phone or to your laptop uh, or your tablet. Uh, and then rather than having to remember dozens and dozens of different passwords or or using the same password, all you have to remember now is one password. And then uh, within this password manager, password vault, these tools have the capabilities of auto-generating very secure passwords, and then they'll auto-log you into all your different online websites. So one of my personal favorites that I always recommend is called Dash Lane, freely available from from an individual consumer perspective. You can install it on all your devices, super simple to use, and uh, it synchronizes uh, wherever you have it installed. Um, just make sure you don't forget that one password. <laughs> uh, but but, it, but again, it, it is a great way of helping people. It's what I refer to as a password aid, right? just because again, passwords aren't going away, unfortunately, anytime soon. Um, but using them uh, can make a world of difference. Yeah, I had a quick, that's a good tactical piece of advice. The other thing I've noticed a lot of consumers do is save their logins and credit cards across like, let's say Google Chrome. Like I think it can, a really convenient thing I have on Google Chrome is it saves all my credit card information. What, what are your thoughts there where you're getting your credentials and credit cards and everything saved so that it pops up yeah. when you need it, whether it's Amazon or Google Chrome or whatever? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's again, it depends who you ask. Modern security browsers have uh, have improved greatly in terms of security, in terms of making sure that credentials and other data that you're in, you're putting in there are secure, right? So um, I would say that it is generally safe. Something to again just be aware of though is that if your device gets stolen, 
and you don't have a password to log into your device, or if your computer isn't encrypted, someone could then have access to, to, to all that uh, information. So that is something to, to bear in mind. And again, it's more so for a laptop. Most people on their mobile phones, uh, I feel like Apple, uh, you know, as an example, they force you to have a pin, right? So it's more secure there. Just something to keep in mind for your laptop or your desktop that that could be if, you know, if you're in an area where you're, you know, if, you're, if you have a laptop and they get stolen, just you have to bear that in mind from a risk perspective. But from a browser perspective, um, it, is, it, is, it is very secure to do that. Another question I got on this topic is going on to networks in the coffee shop, the airport. Is there yeah. what sort of risk is there with that? Uh, back to my theme of you know security relativity. It, it's it's all relative. So if you are just looking at sports scores, or if you're just trying to stream Euro, I know we were just talking about that earlier. Like there's there there's really no risk to that, right? The, you're not risking anything by doing that or checking a, the online news site. But if, for example, you need to check your online banking, now there 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 could be uh, someone that could intercept your credentials. Someone could see what you're doing. They could then steal those credentials and log in at a later time. So it, it, it does depend. Um, one of the things which I tell people is that um, if, you, if you're if you on like your cell phone network, so your 4G or uh, 5G, depending on where you are, or 3G, uh, depending on where you are, that is often, you know, I'll just refer to it as safer than leveraging public Wi-Fi, right? Just because that, that is harder to intercept uh, than, than some uh, public Wi-Fi. So, but if you're someone who, who's a, I'll refer to as a road warrior, especially as you know, we come out of COVID. If you're someone who's on the road a lot using public Wi-Fi, you should download what's referred to as a VPN or virtual private network. That that's something which basically um, creates. I'll just refer to it as a secure tunnel. So think of it as a you know a tunnel between point A and point B, and this tunnel makes it impossible for someone to read or intercept your user credentials or whatever sense of data you're sending between those two points. Um, so um, uh, there's a really, really great tool that I like to use called Nord, N-O-R-D, VPN. Really, really great tool. Again, very inexpensive for from a consumer or small business perspective. So again, if you're someone who goes on a road a lot and would need to use public Wi-Fi a lot, do that. But again, if you're someone who uses public Wi-Fi here and there, um, I wouldn't stress about it. And for whatever reason, let's say you're at a public Wi-Fi spot, you need to check in on your email or you need to check in with your online banking. Just just check it. And if you need to, change your password later. And right? it's it's um it's just it's more of an issue if you're doing so repeatedly, right? With each interaction, you're increasing the likelihood. So we talked about the ways to avoid it, but now let's go to the oh crap, it happened. That we <laughs> You know, your computer starts going haywire. Maybe you even get someone's like, hey, you owe me some money if you want to get your stuff back. Mm. The absolute nightmare happens. How do people yeah. handle that? I'll start, I'll start off on, from a small business perspective. You know, again, it, it really depends on how prepared they are. You know, organizations, if they're prepared or more resilient, and by resilient, I mean they have an offline data backup ready, right? That they have te tested their data backups, that they're like, okay, we know what we know what we need to do, right? We've gone through the drills, we've tested for this, um, let's let's run through this, right? It's like having a going through a fire drill, right? You know, companies have to run through fire drills. So when there's an actual fire, you know where the hell to go when you're exiting the building. We need to do this more in a digital sense, right? And most companies aren't. But um, so there are those that are prepared, but unfortunately, the vast majority of SMBs are not prepared. So what do they then do when they realize that they don't have a backup or they thought they had a backup and then when they tried to recover it, turned out that 
it was from February and, you know, they were now in September. <laughs> They're like, okay, well, this is useless. Um, those organizations then have to uh, reach out to organizations like us where we can provide digital, what's referred to as digital forensics. Uh, digital forensics is like the, you know, the CSI people, right? They're on the crime scene, the digital crime scene, trying to figure out, okay, what happened? What can we recover? Um, do we need to negotiate with, with uh, from a ransomware perspective? Um, you know, if there's a data breach, you know, what records were compromised? Who do we need to contact? Um, you know, does the CEO need to make an announcement internally? Do they need, someone need to talk to the uh, shareholders or clients or customers? So just, it's, again, it's really about understanding that action plan um, and having someone guiding you through that. Um, and like I said, the vast majority of SMBs just they don't know what to do. All they know is that digital hell is breaking around them and they're not sure what to do. But when you're in your experience, a lot of these companies, do they not have an internal cybersecurity team? So they need to kind of find a team like yours? Yeah, it, 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 and that's a really good question, Sergio. And again, generally what we see, that's why we focus on small mid-sized organizations, is that the vast majority of small mid-sized organizations tend not to have a dedicated uh, security person, either whether that be at an operational level or at a strategic level um, or at an executive level. Generally speaking, larger organizations, you know, you mentioned Facebook as an example. As an example, Facebook has a huge security team, right? They have a chief information security officer, so someone who's communicating to the board and to the executives um, and to Zuckerberg if he's listening. And then, you know, you have, um, you know, an operational security team below that. Smaller organizations tend to have tend to not have that. So that that's where organizations like us come in, deal with it at the strategic level, and then we'll figure out what additionally needs to be done at the operational level. Got it. Yeah, but it sounds like the best way is to prepare before it happens. Yeah, it's something which, you know, again, that's why I referred to, like I said, the, the fire drill moment, right? Uh, and, you know, we, we still have fire drills um, in, in office buildings, uh, right? That's done all the time, right? I, there's earthquake drills, you know, done here and where we live in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, you know, if we're, 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 you're, 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 you're preparing for something which you know will come. More and more organizations need to prepare for this. And again, we're seeing that level of preparation happening at the enterprise level, but that's still lacking at the SMB level, right? It's just the many of them just, I think it's that disconnect. They don't, they don't think that they're a target. And again, it, it's uh, often when they realize that they are, it's too late. The heart attack has happened. Exactly. Small business owners, listen up. The yeah. stat we put in the beginning, 63% go out of business after the attack. You've spent your whole life to build something great. Be proactive. Reach out to a guy like Dominic that can help yeah. you protect everything you've worked for. Yeah, Lee, I almost want to ask you, like for some of your customers, your clients, like a lot of them are business owners. I'd be, I'd be curious if it's, if this is top of mind for them, it sounds like it statistically, it's probably not. I think from the most part, you know, as the most business owners are their tunnel vision on, you know, making a profit and, yeah. you know, they're, they're more focused about how do I get my next customer? How do I get my next business deal? But they're not looking at, at this. I mean, for the most part, I mean, I mean, if there's a small handful, but man, there's a lot of them that need to reevaluate and put this top of mind, right? You know, it's just kind of like the financial perspective. Well, a part of making more money that people don't really look at is how do I protect the money I have and avoid losing it all? Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's very common, you know, there's a lot of commonalities there. The other thing I, I wanted to mention as well, Lee, uh, is that you know, 
organizations, you know, if you think uh, um, when you watch the six o'clock news now, um, you know, cybersecurity stories are at least now mainstream. Mainstream media does cover those stories, but it tends to be big level stuff like Colonial Pipeline uh, or, or, or that big, um, whatever it was, JBS um, meat packaging, right? These large, large global organizations, right? They tend to get the stories and many small businesses are lulled into that false sense of security where they say, well, we're, we're not a target, right? Uh, and I often tell people, you know, who has the most to lose? You know, is it When it comes to cyber risk, is it a small company or is it a large company that has the most to lose? And many people say to me, well, it's a large company. They have the most money at stake. And I say, well, let's, if you look at all the data breaches over the past 30 years, um, every single large company has survived, right? They yeah. may have, there may have been a short-term stock hit, but every single one of them had a massive war chest to survive. They are all doing just fine. They're flourishing. Right? And I say, you know, you, what you're what you don't hear about is for every large data breach for a large organization, there's about 10 small organizations that had suffered something similar and went out of business, right? The, the media is not going to cover, you know, you know, mom and pop shop goes out of business you know, on the six o'clock news. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it, does, it doesn't happen. And even further so, e- even if a, a small organization suffers, like, let's say a $300,000 hit, for many small organizations, especially during the pandemic, uh, many of them can't, can't stomach that. that. That's enough to bring them to their knees, you know. So it's for, for small organizations, it's very much an existential risk. And that's why I refer to it as a security paradox. If any organization should care about cybersecurity right now, it's the smaller organizations, not the large ones. Tom, you dropped some amazing gems today. I mean, seriously, this whoever listens to this whole podcast, man, they're in a much better place. How can they reach out to you? You know, like say the small business owner, someone that wants to consult with you and how they can protect themselves. How can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Well, so they, uh, A, they can visit our company website, cyber.sc, so like Santa Claus uh, or South Carolina. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. I spend a ton of time on, on that platform, probably more than I should, but uh, I'm a bit of a LinkedIn addict. Uh, just look up Dominic Vogel, not Dominique, Dominic, uh, D-O-M-I-N-I-C, and then Vogel, V-O-G-E-L. I'm the only one on there. Reach out, connect. Let me know that you you heard these gems on the podcast, and I'm always happy to help. I always tell people I love it when I hear when I hear from people and they reach out to me. And again, if they have a simple question, I'm always happy to provide advice. I'm not like Deloitte, I'm not going to send you a bill for 10k, but for a quick nugget of wisdom. So uh, for any of your listeners and watchers, they can please do feel free to reach out anytime. Thank awesome. you, thank you, buddy. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities American Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities American Advisors, Securities American Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. 
third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.